You're listening to Decisive Point. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the podcast guests and are not necessarily those of the Department of the Army, the U.S. Army War College, or any other agency of the U.S. government. I'm speaking with Dr. Bettina Renz today, author of Was the Russian Invasion of Ukraine a Failure of Western Deterrence, which was published in the winter 2023-24 issue of Parameters. Renz is a professor of international security at the University of Nottingham's School of Politics and International Relations. Welcome to Decisive Point, Dr. Renz. Thank you very much for the invitation. What did Western deterrence look like for the first two decades after the fall of the Soviet Union? So with the fall of the Soviet Union, of course, what occurred at the time was also the end of superpower competition between East and West. Initially, the perception both in the West and in Russia was that the Cold War threat perceptions and deterrence were a thing of the past. And also the assumption at the time that a war between East and West was no longer on the cards. So specifically for the West, and when it came to deterrence, that meant rethinking defense and military priorities. For the U.S. specifically, there was a move towards reorganizing the military along the so-called two-war standard. So no longer having a specific enemy in mind, as the U.S. did during the Cold War with the Soviet Union, but basically estimating military power and deterrence posture on the need to maintain the capability to deal with two regional conflicts at the same time. When it came to priorities of what kind of wars or conflicts were likely in the 90s and 2000s, the focus was initially on peacekeeping, also then increasingly humanitarian interventions and later counterinsurgency warfare. So these small wartime scenarios became the center of the priorities at the time. Of course, throughout those years, also nuclear deterrent was maintained, both in the West and also in Russia. In the West, specifically for much of the 1990s and the 2000s, there was no longer a sense that Russia was an actor that needed to be deterred or that posed a significant threat to the West. In Russia, too, during the early 90s, at least, there were similar views. So it was kind of a honeymoon period, expectations that Russia would increasingly move closer to the West, become a democracy, and so on. So they disarmed, they cut their military forces significantly from what they had during the Cold War. But, and this is something the West didn't pay enough attention to with hindsight, the rhetoric and military ambitions in Russia already changed towards the mid-1990s, in fact. So there were ambitions to rebuild significant conventional deterrent already apparent in the 1993 Russian military doctrine, for example. And especially, it is widely acknowledged that the 1999 Operation Allied Force by NATO led to a lot of criticism in Russia of U.S. and Western uses of military power, of humanitarian interventions, increasing worry in Russia amongst the leadership about a U.S. monopoly on the use of force that, in the view of the Russians, constrained their own freedom of action, and increasingly a perceived fear in the Kremlin of Western intrusions into what Russia claimed and continues to claim is its sphere of interest in the former Soviet region. So the West did not, during the 90s and the 2000s, take much note of these developments, because this was in Russian rhetoric, but it was not accompanied really by actions in foreign policy behavior in Russia. When Putin came to the presidency in 2000, he immediately prioritized military developments and the Russian armed forces from 2000 onwards. And a serious reform program then started in 2008. And also what became apparent an increasingly assertive behavior, for example, the war against Georgia in 2008. 
Yet little attention was still paid in the West to Russian changing military ambitions that were no longer how the expectation was in the early 1990s, right up until 2014, because there was largely the perception that Russia basically was no longer a serious global actor, that Russia had lost the Cold War and that deterrence was no longer relevant in that sense. How did Russia's annexation of Crimea change the West's defense posture? Now, because not much attention had been paid to the Russian military developments there during the first few years of 2000, the annexation of Crimea came as a surprise to many in the West. And although, of course, very little military force was used in this operation, it was clear that Russia managed to achieve its objectives quite quickly and also clearly demonstrated the Kremlin's preparedness to use military force to achieve various foreign policy objectives. So in a way, I would say that almost led to kind of a panic amongst the Western policy-making establishment that important developments in Russia had been overlooked. And Russia again started to be seen as a threat that needed deterrence. So looking at it again through a Cold War lens. And this then led to a reorientation of thinking about deterrence in the West and also within NATO, of course. So there was a need or the perceived need for clear adjustments to the West and NATO's defensive and deterrence posture discussions of the need for European NATO members especially to increase their defense spending, and also moves towards reinforcing NATO's own posture on its eastern flank in the Baltic states and Central and Eastern Europe. There was a revival of large-scale NATO exercises and also scenario planning then for potential Russian incursions into NATO territory. Again, a revival of the understanding that conventional warfighting capabilities actually were important vis-a-vis Russia and also for the West. So this was the major focus of the West's defensive posture between 2014 and 2022, in my view. Does the Russian invasion of Ukraine indicate a failure of Western deterrence? The answer to this question is not as straightforward as it might seem. So since the West and NATO's efforts had focused mostly on deterring Russian threats towards the West and towards NATO territory, deterrence, of course, did not fail in this respect, because this is not something that has happened. When it comes to the invasion of Ukraine specifically, also it's clear that the West did not pursue a deliberate strategy to deter this specific eventuality. Because strengthening the West's own deterrence posture vis-a-vis Russia is of course not the same as deterring specifically the invasion of Ukraine. In fact, the involvement of NATO or US military personnel in a potential war between Russia and Ukraine was always explicitly ruled out repeatedly. Of course, the US and NATO also gave Ukraine significant military assistance after 2014, the so-called Comprehensive Assistance Package for Military Reforms. However, this package was aimed at helping Ukraine to help itself first of all, to help Ukraine improve its own deterrence posture vis-à-vis Russia. And the focus of this assistance was on long-term democratic developments, wider security sector reforms, anti-corruption work, and so on. But it was not aimed at quickly helping Ukraine to build real capacity to fight Russia in an imminent war. There were very little specific deterrent threats made to Russia by the West about what would happen in the case of an invasion of Ukraine. So there was talk of sanctions. And then later, much later, when the invasion was almost inevitable, beginning of 2022, there were threats that this would lead to the West arming Ukraine. But this was too little and too late. None of these threats at this point created in the Kremlin's mind the view or the understanding that the costs of an invasion of Ukraine imposed by the West would be unacceptable. So from this point of view, then, the invasion of Ukraine was not really a failure of Western deterrence because no deliberate strategy for deterring an invasion was ever pursued. What conclusions and implications can we take from Russia's invasion of Ukraine? 
Of course, the big question is, Russia was not deterred from invading Ukraine. Can Russia be deterred in the future? And I think this requires, in order to come to a better thinking about how to deter Russia, we need more nuanced thinking in the West about what it means in our mind to deter Russia in the first place. So it is not enough. It is too simplistic just to ask if Russia can be deterred full stop. Instead, what really should be considered going forward is what specifically the West wants to deter Russia from doing and in what circumstances. Russian foreign policy objectives, of course, include competition with the West and with the US. And also the reassertion of Russia's great power status is very central to Russian objectives. But having said this, the Kremlin's foreign policy objectives are not limited to this and are actually, in fact, much more complex. So this means that a credible Western deterrent intended to dissuade the Kremlin from attacking NATO territory will not deter the Kremlin from using military force in other contexts necessarily, as we have seen in Ukraine. And this is no matter how the West deterrence posture actually is. So as long as there is a belief that deterrence works, there's no reason really to think that Russia cannot be deterred. But deterrence needs to be based on a nuanced understanding of Russian foreign policy priorities and defense thinking. And it cannot be based on simplistic Cold War analogies. Listeners, you can find the article at press.armywarcollege.edu slash parameters. Look for volume 53, issue 4. Dr. Renz, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode of Decisive Point and would like to hear more, you can find us on any major podcast platform. 